Welcome, guys, to the Google Podcast. I am your host, Rob Watson, and I've got a really interesting guest lined up for you today. Her name's Pam Warhurst. She's the founder of the Incredible Edible Movement, which was started in Tobinden in West Yorkshire in 2008, and which has now got about over a thousand groups worldwide. You know, the vision appears to be to engage and inspire people to take up the challenge of creating kinder, more confident, more connected communities through the power of food. So, thank you, Pam, for chatting with me today. My pleasure. Yeah, it's a joy. Thank you for inviting me. No, it is. And I've known about you for a few years. I've had some friends talk about it. Um, when I pop into different cities and places, I just see this incredible edible pa- um, little plaque on the side of little planters and stuff by train stations. And I, I went over to Todmonden at the beginning of this year. I've got a friend there. And um, it's inspiring to see. You know, it's really incredible. So for those who may not be aware of it, could you tell us a little bit how, how it started and how it's yeah. kind of grown? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you say, it goes back to 2008 when we were all a lot less grey. Well, I was anyway. Um, and it, it, was, it was just, so I'm a mum, you know, um, and I've also done lots of things, um, you know, local government, health, all manner of things. And I was really upset that there was no leadership around building kind of futures for our people. There was no leadership around sustainability and how we live within our planet and stuff like that. And it wasn't kind of like the type of thing you talked about in the pub. So I was at a conference in London and I just was being told about the state of the planet and all the stuff we know about, even, you know, 11 years on even more. And it's just all depressing, you know. What are you going to do? So I thought, well, why don't we just start doing stuff for ourselves instead of having a whinge about everybody else not doing stuff? So I got on a train and I made up Incredible Edible um, as a concept and went to see my mate Mary, sat at the kitchen table, and it all began from there. And it was just about, we've got some big issues coming around, you know, the corner. And if we don't all see what we can do in our little piece of the jigsaw to try and build a world where... Our kids will have a future, our neighbours will have a good time, you know, there'll be local jobs, there'll still be a life worth living. We don't all do our bit about it. Well, who knows what's going to happen. And the great thing about Incredible Edible is it's got a simple motto, which is if you eat, you're in. So you don't have to be able to do a right lot of clever things. And if you're like me, you're not very good at growing. But it was not about are you a master Royal Horticultural Society grower? It was about do you give us stuff? Shall we start doing something different? Shall we start using local food to demonstrate that we care about our neighbours, we care about the types of spaces we live in, we care about what our kids are being taught, we care about how we spend our money, but because we're just ordinary folks, we don't have any big levers of power. But what we do have is the will to do things differently. And that's what Incredible Edible was all about, the will to build a kind of future. Um, so that, that was it. It, was, it. it wasn't even couched in those terms because literally I came out of this conference feeling, oh my Lord, it's all very depressing and got on a virgin train and thought, but if we all do something, it gives us hope. You know, if we all do something, who knows where it might go? So um, I thought of using food because that's the thing that brings us all together. Could have, you know, I've sat in a few transition term meetings. There's nothing wrong with them. They're great. But, you know, talking to folk about peak oil and things that seem beyond our capacity to know what the Samuel to do didn't seem the best way to start if you were going to create a grassroots, you know, revolt, as it were. So food's the thing that brings us together, age, income, culture, ability. We all do it, like it, buy it, grow it, cook it, don't like it, whatever. It's an easy point of conversation. Um, and then I thought, well, if we're going to do that, we'd better have a bit of a game plan. You know, getting up in the morning and hugging a tree is grand, but it doesn't necessarily get you anywhere. So what if we just talked about spinning plates, agitation, bit of theatre, you know, the old idea of you spin one plate, then you spin two, then it's really brilliant showbiz. If you spin three, it all feels like, we can do this. We're not asking anybody else's permission. We can do this because we don't need a load of money to start. And we can do this because we don't need a load of qualifications either. We can do it just because 
we'll see if there's any seeds in the bottom drawer or in the local supermarket or anywhere, plant them up and stick them out there. So that was the beginning of it. My thoughts were around, let's have a bit of a game plan um, for how we, how we actually do this. So it was the three plates. It was the three plates of just get them spinning, have a bit of showbiz, take control. You don't need a lot of qualifications to do it. Just find a few seeds or buy it in the local supermarket or whatever and plant them up um, and put them out there in your community to share. Because the whole point about growing food in our communities is that it's not just for us, we get joy out of doing it, but it's that we could share it with people if they want them. Um, so we plant up lots of what we call propaganda gardens because it gets people talking. They might not necessarily like them. We might have taken up a rose bush in the process of planting some cabbages. Not a great idea, but never mind. We've done some stuff in the past that we'd learned from. But you grow food in very public places so that people can see it and have a conversation and think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if I could do that or whatever. The second plate is the learning one because... To be quite frank, lots of people have forgotten how to grow. You, you know, when people used to come up from the mines, the first thing they did was went to their allotment and grow tomatoes or whatever. But we don't do that anymore. We've forgotten how to do it. So let's get real and find people in our communities we can learn from. We don't, uh, you know, you can go online these days. That's fantastic. But we don't need to pay out a load of money on a course because there'll be people who know how to grow or bottle or preserve or graft a tree. We just need to open our mouths and have a conversation and find out where they are. And that is how you start to build networks and community. And the third thing is, if we really wanted to tackle at a grassroots level, the ideas around prosperity and living well in the future, when you know we've got this big cloud of climate change over us, then wouldn't it be great if we could stimulate local jobs for kids? Wouldn't it be great if we could reinvent that market economy that was local, wouldn't it be great if because of the power of, if we happen to have a pound in our pocket, not everybody does, but if we're fortunate enough to have one, then if we spent it with a local retailer or a local farmer or the local market, and we all did that, well, you know, you'd get farmers and producers and local people thinking that it's worthwhile me doing this. I'll grow more of that or I'll produce more of that or... So that stimulates what I call a sticky money economy, where the profit stays where you spend it. And that gives you the chance to say, if you've walked through food all your life, so you know what orchards look like and you know how Brussels sprouts grow and whatever, which most people don't, and you actually know what to do with that stuff when you've got it all, which most people don't, then if you've increased the interest in that, you will increase the demand for local produce. It's as simple as that. Um, and that's how you create, I think, in the future, really strong, local, kind of connected communities. And 11 years ago, it was a twinkle in the eye. Who knew it was going to work? Who knew? It's all about storytelling, you know, because we've all got it in us. There's nothing original about this. It's just a bit joined up and, hey, come on, shall we have a crack at it? And we started to tell the story and we did it in Todd. Tottenham, 15,000 people, market town, in the South Pennines, rains a lot, particularly at the moment, very tedious, but never mind. Uh, but great people. You know, my girl went to the local high school. Um, great sense of place and community, but a little lost. You know, Manchester was there on one side, Leeds was there on the other side. What were we? Textiles had gone under. But through actually taking back our own spaces, we started to feel a sense of pride again. Um, and in Tobedon, it kind of like attracted people to come and see us. So um, it invented a new type of tourism called vegetable tourism. And people came from all over the world to see, literally all over the world. And all we were doing was planting food in public places. And, and if you were like me, well, having help us, you had no idea what you were doing. But you learned as you went along. That's the point. And we had people from Japan and we had people from Australia and we had people from New Zealand. When, when the earthquake happened, people came over because it's such a simple model for investing in hope. It doesn't cost you money, particularly. And, and if you, when in New Zealand the earthquake happened and, and all the buildings, 80% of the buildings in Christchurch went down, 
That meant people lost their homes, they lost their businesses. The local authority lost all its revenue, it didn't have any business rates or anything, so it was broke. So how do you bring back hope to a community when you've no money? And the two things they took up on was urban farming, clearing the vacant lots where there had been buildings and growing food, and creating great community artworks. The community doing it for themselves, not rocket science. And it makes you smile. And once you start smiling, you know, there is, there is a hope for the future. So uh, folks came from all over the place and, and then it spread. And at the moment, there's about 150 groups in the UK who are doing the three plates in their own way at different scale um, with different emphasis. This is not, um, you know, a, we don't have a bureaucracy. We don't have an office. We don't have anything. We just have storytelling and a little bit of support along the way. We haven't done this without any money. But we certainly haven't done this on the assumption we were going to get a load of money. Um, so you've got Bristol. Fantastic stuff going on in Bristol as part of the bigger interest in food. Um, Sarah Venn leads a team there of people who are just going out redefining what Bristol looks like. It's great connecting retailers and producers fab. You've got Ilfra Coombe, completely different. Much smaller place in Devon very rural but because of the connections that were being made when all that snow came and blocked them off they kind of had the networks of helping each other they got it in their head and then you've got lambeth where huge borough in london 450,000 people there's not one group it's kind of a network of networks because that's what works there and then you've got butte up in scotland where they're you know making an edible seafront whatever it's, it's not about the food. Food's the Trojan horse. It's the Trojan horse that gets you into self-belief. And self-belief is what we don't invest in. And self-belief can change history. So that's what Incredible Edible's all about. And yeah, do we have, can I cite you all the groups all over the world? Can I? I have no idea. And, and some of them are four people and some of them are 20 people. I mean, who knows? It, but it's about, I'm not a victim. It's about, I'm part of a solution on this planet and I'm just gonna crack on with doing what I can do in the hope and faith and knowledge really that there's folks all over the place that will connect with me and help me do it. And that's what Incredible Edible's all about. Well, yeah, I could probably just wrap up the podcast now, but I won't because we're still early on. Um, it is, and I don't want to use obviously the pun, but it is. It's inc absolutely incredible the yeah. how it's gone and started. And you said it just starts from something so small, and yeah. just that willing to do something. Because, like you say, yeah. a lot of people you might go around and see litter, and you can moan about litter, or you can pick it up. And yeah. Like, well, actually, you no, know, I want to pick it up. I feel good picking up litter. You know, and even yeah. if even if there's more litter tomorrow, that's okay. I'm just going to do my. Yeah. Um, and I think like you said, very, it's just very empowering and, and, you know, we're talking about this now and we're, you know, we're going through the coronavirus and stuff. And, and when that all, when that all went down at the beginning of March, what, what, what was everyone mostly thinking about? It was like the food more than anything. It wasn't, you know, what new car to get or my latest iPhone or clothes and stuff. It was food. And by the time that you're building, you're building the networks, but you're building, it's building resilience. So if something does yeah. happen then it means, oh, well, it's okay because we've got enough, you know, we know how to grow food. We're not dependent yeah. on food coming from New Zealand or China or America yeah. or Europe. It's like, actually, no, we can, we can do this. And it gives people, um, like you say, a lot more like hope and belief in themselves and to think it's okay. We'll, we'll be okay. We'll manage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, I could just wait because, um, you know, when I walk around Tomlinson, because that's where I still live. Um, and the number of people in their front gardens. Now, the funny old thing about England is you grow veg in your back garden if you're going to grow it at all. You grow flowers in your front. I don't know what that's about, but that's what they do. Um, but the number of people in really little back gardens, front gardens, wherever, that are growing lettuce and 
having a crack at tomato plants and all over the place. And you walk up and down the canal. We've done this a long time. This isn't a quick fix thing, you know. Um, although you can see change happen fast because food grows quite quickly. But when you walk up and down the canal in Tobedon, people have taken over spaces and have got made their own little allotments. You know, they've just said, yes, we can. It's just about a mindset. So absolutely, it's about, it's about building capacity at a grassroots level. And you can't do that top down. And we've learned loads of lessons along the way, you know, um, because what we're doing, yeah, it's building stronger communities. And what that means is it's taking back a sense of responsibility for your own life, where you can, where you can. It's about saying, and, and gosh, we've seen it with COVID, haven't we? Because what COVID said to us is this wasn't something we saw coming, but it's probably going to be an indicator of the types of things we might see in the future when the planet's all over the shop and weird things happen. Because it's not a straight line. It's not just, oh, it's going to get really hot here and that's it. All weird things happen. Migration, disease, God knows what it is. But if we've started taking a sense of responsibility to grassroots level, then we become part of a solution about how we tackle that. As you've said, we've seen it with COVID. And what incredible edible... And other things like care farms and there's lots of other uh, initiatives, except they, they tend to stop and start at food, whereas we use food to springboard into self-belief a bit more. But, you know, you grow more food, you learn more stuff, you meet more people, you get more active. You get more active, you improve the population's health. You improve your mental health. You, da, 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 da. you know, it's not a grand master top-down plan. It's just dead obvious. It's common sense. And if we all did that more and actually give ourselves a pat on the back that actually not only are we quite enjoying this, because I grow lots of food now when 11 years ago I never did. And I really like it. And I can chat to the plants if I'm feeling stressed and nobody can certify me. It's just great. But if we all did more of this, then the big issues that we don't know where to start to deal with because we're not on anybody's board become something that actually we can have an impact on. Because our healthcare service, brilliant though it is, is not sustainable. We know that. There's not enough money in the system to deal with the issues that are coming over if you combine care and healthcare together. So what would be a great idea is if we took people out of the system that actually had a problem because of the way they lived their lives. And if that was about the food they ate or the activity they undertook or their sense of just being happy when they got up in the morning, if that's our contribution to building a healthcare service that can focus on those that really need it and not those of us that can actually do something about it ourselves, then that's our little bit of an investment in a different future. And, and it's the two hands clapping bit for how we live. And we've missed it. This isn't about people in boardrooms making one decision and people at grassroots doing something else. This is about both coming together through the simple medium of using food to illustrate we can do things differently. We can have a kind of prosperity. We can think about what role we'll have in the future in our town through the job that we do or the people that meet or whatever all these things are possible and all we've done is plant veg simple as that and it is as simple as that and but <laughs> but so so that was 10 years um of a mixed uh just growing the network um, and seeing the brilliant stuff other people are doing, that are they're doing things themselves. You know, they're not doing th they're not being done to. They're doing things for themselves. Okay, um, and we have a system that does to people still. Um, and with the best will in the world, it tries to do things for or with people. But ultimately, you have to let people do things for themselves where they can. Um, and. I've learned loads of lessons along the way, and it seems to me that we all have different jobs to do in this one, and I'm getting older and older, and there's only so much digging that I can do, but I can do it, you know. But um, 
I want to tell the stories of the people at the grassroots that then challenge the way people around board tables do things. Because ultimately, if we're going to live within our means as a planet, people around board tables, local government, private sector, healthcare services, or whatever, need to do things differently. And they know they do. They all know they do, but they're stuck in a system and a measurement of that system that makes it really difficult for them to be brave enough to jump out of it you know, and not risk their mortgage. I get all that. So how do we help them make a systems change? That's the next 10 years for me. How do we keep on saying, what really matters is that we have groups that do their own stuff. That's what really matters. But on top of that, if we can find ways of challenging the way people think about how they spend their money or how they invest in their communities or how they can think differently and trust people to do stuff for themselves. So if we can contribute to that debate, then it makes it easier for everybody to be incredible because it's not two steps forward, one step back. So that's why I'm interested for me um, in particularly in two things. I'm interested in having a conversation about people, about the public realm, okay? So the public realm is, is the land that is stewarded by public services on behalf of the people, if I can put it that way. You know, it's grass verges and parks and all things in between. Um, it's community spaces. It, it's, it, it, it's land that now at the moment can't be mowed because the local authority hasn't got enough money to mow it. Or it's got, you know, it becomes a dog toilet because nobody cares about it or whatever. Now, for me, that's got the word public in front of it. And therefore, unless I'm very much mistaken, I think that means people. So somewhere along the line, wouldn't it be great to open a conversation up between citizens and the people that currently steward it to say, we could do this differently. Why don't we have a right to grow food on that land when we want to do it? Not as a boot camp, but when the time comes, we don't want to do it with a balaclava on our heads because we don't want you to know who we are. We do want you to know who we are. We are your citizens and we have a right to that land and we want to grow food on it. And it's only part of a solution, but we've seen it's a great part of the solution. So I'm pretty keen to stimulate that discussion around the right to land in this country. That's a tricky one, I have to tell you, Rob, because land means power. But anyway, um, I'm starting with public realm, and I think it's a no-brainer. The second thing I really want to focus on is health. I do, because I used to chair a hospital trust in the days when I did stuff like that. So I, so I know how wonderful they all are, but I know how constrained they are in their system. So I've just got three asks of health, which is change the rules around how you build your hospitals and your doctor's surgeries and incorporate food in how you landscape so that when people walk to a health service of some order, they're walking through food, orchards, herbs, veg, whatever, instead of prickly plants which nobody can eat whilst at the same time running an eat five a day campaign how bloody stupid is that so change but but don't do it as best practice do it as normal practice that's the first thing the second thing is will you please invest in hospitals and health centers where you can in community kitchens because you are a health service, not an illness service. And you are brilliant at illness, but can you just embrace with your citizens' health? And if you could create community kitchens in all your health establishments, and it's not always easy, retrofitting is not easy, but it's possible, then you could imagine that staff and patients and community could come together and cook food learn how to do it, share it, cook for their streets, start a little social enterprise, doesn't matter. It's all about feeling good about yourself, which impacts on your health, eating good food, which impacts on your health, taking illness out of it and putting health back in there. 
So that's the second thing we want. And that is possible, by the way, because there's a great doctor in Halifax, great doctor, who said, I'm fed up of waiting for the rules to change nationally. You can come and take over my surgery grounds. The community, not this kind of like task force, some in co the community, grow food where around the car parking spaces, change what they look like. Um, and we're going to put up a semi-permanent gazebo in a space that there is. If I can find, if we can find some money to do it, we'll just buy one and put it up. And then together, the community cooks its own food. And then that could help us get over a lot of stuff on holiday hunger, a lot of stuff on Meals on Wheels, all that stuff. Again, obvious, isn't it, really? And the third thing is health establishments have got significant procurement budgets, you know, spending power. And a lot of that spending power, for all sorts of reasons, is, um, is used to buy stuff from big organisations national organizations that don't particularly take into account carbon footprint don't particularly take into account local produce don't, or any of that stuff so wouldn't it be great if they could change the rules nationally so that people did take into account how far the food had traveled people did take into account whether it's purchased locally people did take into account what the well-being of the you know creatures that contributed to it were and that would be a new way of thinking about a sticky money procurement policy. Wouldn't that be great? This is health we're talking about. I mean, if you can't do it with health, where can you do it? So together, creating an edible estate, creating community kitchens, and having a local buying policy for procurement, you could, that's a lot of, you know, leverage. You did that with health. You could then do it with local government. Then you could do it with the Ministry of Justice. Then it starts. It's just, it's not about us controlling it. It's about people going, oh, that's a good idea. We'll do that. That's it. And with what you've done since 2008, I've got no doubt that in the next 10 years that you'll make massive strides in, in that as well. And I hope so. It's, it, I, I hope so. Just, you've obviously got that real, you know, that vision and you can think creatively and connect stuff and it just, you know, and what you're saying just is it's, it's common sense. It's yeah. just, it's just the way it, it just, that's the way it should be. And the way it is now is like, for instance, you go into hospitals now and you think of the food that gets served in hospitals and it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like you said, it's not, it shouldn't be the ill health service. You know, it should be, you know, you don't want it. People talk about the budget growing actually in a way over time, you want the budget to go, have to go down for the national health service because people don't need to use it as much. Exactly. Not necessarily. Like we need to put more money into it, but you know, I actually need to put more money into what you're talking about. The education, the growing of food, the cooking, teach people about nutrition, you know, all that sort of stuff. And if we're doing it at this age now, then that means in 10, 20, 30 years time. And like you say, if something bigger comes along than COVID, that could, you know, something that's 10, 20 times more powerful, you know, that's really going to shake things up. And it, it yeah. would have what you're talking about in place. If something like that does happen in the next decade or two. Well, I can't help but, you know, I'm quite a jolly person, really, but you can't help but see this cloud of climate change, and it's real, you know. And um, if you, as Naomi Klein said at the end of her book, which, which the first book that she wrote, you know, if history comes knocking on your door, what what can you tell him that you're done? I just, you know, that's all there is to it. It doesn't matter. It's the power of small action. So. So absolutely, it's important that we, that we do that. And you know, when, when I kicked this off all those years ago as an idea, and then other people just made it real, um, I thought I was mitigating against climate change. I thought that what we were really doing was um, changing our lifestyles in a way that would mean we could see carbon being reduced and stuff like that, even in a small way, mitigation. Over the years, I have realized this is pure adaptation. 
because mitigation yeah we can do something but we have already you know the rabbit's out of the, it, it's going oh yeah. sorry it's funny that you said i'm going and then you went <laughs> <laughs> no somebody rang so i so i, I so no problem uh, so so for me um whatever we do nationally we suddenly wake up with the greatest kind of like set of policies at the national level and they're really brave and they're radical and all the rest of it which they're not particularly but if they were we still would be in a situation where the climate is going to change and it is going to impact on the poorest in the world and the poorest in our societies. So what we're doing is adapting. And why we're adapting is we have to have hope. Because if we don't have hope, why would we get out of bed in the morning? It just drags you down. And many people that have been through COVID are feeling like that. You know, they thought they knew where they were going in life and, and it's all changed. But the amazing thing about just getting on, rolling up your sleeves and cracking on with doing something that's dead easy, starting on your street or in your front garden or whatever, nobody is going to complain about you growing food to share. Nobody. We've never been sued. We've never killed anybody. It's, it's, it's all your gifts that are being shared. If we do that, suddenly we feel a bit lighter. You know, we feel this is possible. If I can do it, my neighbours can do it. If my neighbours can do it, my street can do it. If my street can do it, my town can do it. If my town can do it, my country can do it. It just opens up that, yes, we can. And that is the blue touch paper that needs to be lit. Because if we don't like that at a grassroots level, we're never going to be able to get to where we want to get to. And we have to get there. That's what drives me. There is no choice. There is no plan B. Been said many, many, many times, but there isn't. But there is a truth in the fact that we, the people, can do it. We can show the way. And historically, think about the Northern. You know, I did some stuff in Wigan. Um, great local authority with a great chief exec some time ago called donna hall wonderful woman um and of course wigan was one of the places associated with um the diggers um a movement that said all those you back winstanley all those years ago the right to land and all that stuff and ultimately that failed but it never but the vision of what it meant never, ever was lost. And it didn't have climate change as its trump card. That's what we have. It's a terrible thing to say. But climate change is the trump card. It changes everything. There's nobody can continue with business as usual when you've got climate change. Um, and, and we are going to sweat that for all it's worth because it matters that the people have the right to the land to grow their own food on. It matters that people have public money spent on services that enhance the quality of their lives, their neighbourhoods and their children's future. It matters that that happens. And that has not happened historically. And maybe, just maybe, you have to believe you've got a chance of doing something now. And I do. I do believe that. You have, and you've done it. And what I love about it is the fact that because what I would sometimes, what might come up my mind, I walk, might walk out and go for a walk and I might, I'll see spots and go, that's a great place to go food. But then something in my head would be like, oh, you can't do that, you're not allowed. You know, you, you, that's just somebody, the conditioning that's been put into us that yeah. you're not allowed to do them things. You, if you've got a plot of land in your space, you can do what you want. But actually, yeah. if you've seen these grass verges, I'm like, I'd be great to do that. But actually, we can. And, you, and you've shown that you can do it and no one sued you. No one stopped you. You know, and like you say, the fact that you're not doing it necessarily, for, well, we're do, doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for the community. You're doing it for everyone. Yeah. You're doing it to inspire other people to go food, to cook food, to eat well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I am not saying, because I, you know, I don't have a camera in every single group to see what they do all the time. I'm not saying that people haven't created a propaganda garden and then somebody's made a fuss about it. But then you just create another one. You've not just had to build a Taj Mahal. You just do another one. It's just veg. It's seeds. You can change it. And the bottom line is it's your gift. So give it. 
whether they want it or they don't, just give it. And, and, and it, on the whole, you know, I can give loads of examples where we took a flyer um, and, 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 and other places have and created a great piece of land with food to grow on, with great signs, because it's not all about growing. It's about the signage of it, food to share, whatever else it might be. That might be your gift, sign writing, not growing. Um, but the number of times the authorities, inverted commas, then contacted us and said, oh, that was a great idea. Really glad you did that. Because you're not doing it to trash the place. You're actually doing it and using your nose, which is what this is all about, to say, what can I do there that nobody's going to complain about? Right? How can I make a lovely raised bed and paint it a lovely colour and put some lovely signs on it and grow some bedroom? Who's, who actually is going to be mean enough to complain about that? Not many. And if they do, I think you'll find there's a bit of a backlash. And as I say, if you do, you just plant it somewhere else. It's, it's yeah, it's contagious. And, it, and what's really interesting, if you go back in history, and I'm not a great, you know, I don't have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. But if you look at the Garden City movement, right, which was well in Garden City and also, you know, there was a great vision by a guy called Ebenezer Howard about, this is going back 100 and odd years, about, oh, it might be 100 years, I'm not sure, about how you can create places that are with homes, not just units, how you can create places where, where people can bring up their families and think of everything in that Garden City movement about, about having green spaces to use for your family, about having uh, access to jobs locally, about having homes, not you, all these things. It's all the same principle. It's, it, it, it never changes. It's just that it's never been more important than now to not leave it to the professionals who have failed, sadly, but to say, let's all get together. You know, boardroom, professionals, citizens, let's redefine what our places look like using food. Um, and let's see where that goes. And that's the bottom line. The great thing about it is you don't know where the end of the road is. You just know it's a road that you want to be on. And the serendipity around it, when people come forward and you don't know what to do, and they say, I've got a bit of something, you could have that. It's amazing. And it's kind of like we've all got this well of kindness in us, but we've not known where to give it. And suddenly, by somebody just cracking on and doing something, folks just come. Give you tools, give you seeds, make you a cup of tea, whatever. And it just makes you smile and you think, hmm. I think this is okay yeah damn right it's okay it's more than okay <laughs> it, um, it, it's truly it's truly inspiring and it's inspiring me because it's something like i'm baby like yourself earlier on like I, I didn't i knew i wanted to produce my own food and grow my own food but i didn't know how to and i was never taught it at school no the best thing i maybe did at home was we'd grow some sunflowers occasionally just in you know as i was growing up and you know, and then so I suddenly get the urge to do this when I'm in my early 30s. I'm like, I'm just going to have to, you know, going to have to just learn along my way. And I get impatient to be like, right, okay, within a year, I need to be producing this amount of food. But it's, it's just, it's one step at a time. And it's just, yeah. it's just going with it and growing it and learning it. And one thing I'm interested to talk about is actually how we embed this more into our schools. Like, and it's not yeah. just, it's just this like bolt on kind of, um course it's like this is it's fundamental like it's as, just as important as maths and english like it is yeah. how, how can it not be the future we're going on and, and one thing that comes to mind for me as well is we're moving into an age now where we're gonna who knows what the world's gonna look like in 20 30 years and i mean that in terms of like artificial intelligence like every job like no every car will be automated so mm. every most of the jobs will be automated. And on one hand, that's great because people who don't enjoy them jobs can potentially have freedom. But then on the yeah. other side of it is, you know, well, what's the world going to look like? And if what are kids being taught now in school? Yeah. Kids who are going to school now are five or six. What's the world yeah. going to look like for them when they finish yeah. university in the 20s? Yeah. It's not being, there's not that resilience there. And I think health and well-being, you know, physical health, emotional health, has to be yeah. at the cornerstone of, of this, this new world. 
Yeah, I you you've hit the nail on the head. Um, I completely agree. You know, when we so a bit of a story about something called the Aqua Garden. So obviously, the whole point about this was a concern about my daughter's future. What we're not going to do for our children, and and it was just that kind of made the you, you know you've got the sort of the intellectual side of it about. Rio West Summit, you, you've not done anything about that. You knew this was coming, well, but then you've got the emotional one, which is, this is not good enough for my kid. You know, we're going to have to do something. And, and together, those two things just make you work. So therefore, it's about children, right. So we tried to have a conversation with the local schools. Um, and we did an experiment with the high school and we got some lottery money and we created what we call the Aqua Garden. Um, now, that was in partnership with a great um, green business company locally, um, and the high school itself, and the local group, and it was about teaching kids at that high school how to grow, but not just soil, hydroponics and aquaponics, yeah? Because we didn't know where the future was taking us, but probably would remain hydro and soil in places like the UK, but we needed skill sets internationally for places I'm going to write a load of water where they could grow food and get protein from fish. So aquaponics was going to be important. So wouldn't it be great if our children could learn those skills and help, you know, never know where their career was going to go to in which part of the globe. So we kicked off and we did that and we did it for nine years. Um, and we were in partnership and we were going to, um, we were going to work with the high school. We were going to do apprenticeships with the high school. It was great because as you say, that type of thinking and knowledge set runs straight across all the STEAM subjects, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. This isn't just about knowing about soil and the importance of a living soil as opposed to dirt which doesn't grow anything. This is about knowing how you might be able to grow up inside of buildings, in attics, on roofs, hydroponics, to grow at scale when you've not got a load of soil. This was about knowing how without a load of water, we could think about the engineering and technologies that would allow us to grow food in all manner of places. So this was, as you say, for your maths people. This was also about storytelling. This is, in every aspect of a school's life, you could use food to stir up an interest and to generate a sense of purpose for a lot of young people. But sadly, we are still in a mindset in this country that people who grow food are in some way losers. People who grow food are in some way not you know, uh, the brightest of souls or whatever. It, it's a shocking, disrespectful mindset, which we've seen to some extent turned on its head with COVID, haven't we? We've seen the celebration of people who actually make our lives worth living, not the venture capitalist. It's really quite interesting. Um, and so we, we've, we basically failed with the first round of the Aqua Garden because we couldn't break through the tick box mentality that was being driven nationally in all schools. This wasn't about just that one school. This was just about them not being in a position to work out how to do this and still get in the league tables. You can understand what that's about. And yet, we didn't fail. Because although we put, as a community, we put a lot of effort into trying to make that work and it didn't work in that guise, two years on, that high school is going to teach horticulture. And that high school has got staff who are inspirational in helping their children understand about ecosystems and around um, the big issues of climate change. And the Aqua Garden and what we did, drip, drip, drip for all those years, played a small part in making that happen. Now, that should happen everywhere. I agree. You know, what happens at the moment is primaries are brilliant. There's loads of primary schools doing great stuff about growing in their yards and 
you know, kids eating carrots that fall down to the ground and stuff like that. That's great. But unless you've got a teacher who's keen on that, it remains what you do at lunchtime. Not good enough. And so what we did with Incredible Edible is to say, well, let's be the bridge between the school gate and the, and, and the, and the kitchen table at home. Because there's no point in kids learning about how to grow stuff and then going on to a pot noodle. There's not. So that's kind of the area that we've tried to stimulate that, that interest of mums and dads and kids that takes you beyond what was happening in the schoolyard to what was happening outside the schoolyard. And this, is this isn't just in this country. You know, I went to New Zealand five years after the earthquake. Um, I was invited there to bang on about Incredible Edible and see the great stuff that was happening. Um, and it was exactly the same. You know, in Todd, we kicked off growing at the police station. In Geraldine, in New Zealand, they did exactly the same thing. And the police there said the same thing that they said in Todd. Vandalism's down. People smile and have a chat to us. It's kind of a nice bridge. And they did exactly the same thing at the schools. Instead of planting inside the schoolyard, they planted vines, because it's New Zealand, and stuff like that outside the schoolyard, running up the fences. Just making that bridge. And the other thing they did in New Zealand, which was brilliant, was many people in their community where they kicked this off um, couldn't get it just didn't you know just didn't get it what was this all about what was this change in the horizon why do we have to do this around food this is new zealand so the way that they got people connected with food because it's the same the world over people see things in plastic bags flown from all over the place wherever you are on this planet so to avoid that and to to move around that they created something called the orchard of legends so they they got the locals to plant apple and pear and fruit trees and commemorate them by referencing a local person still living, not somebody that was six foot under, you know, the local woman, the midwife and the rugby coach and the local policeman, you know, and, and, and that really simple things like that, which they made up for themselves, was the way that they connected people together to work together, to talk to strangers, to produce a different environment in the middle of their towns. And that was their approach. And I just think that that is lovely. So each and every school has got teachers who get what climate change is going to bring for their kids. It's just quite difficult for them to know when they're working away all hours that God sends them to produce results in a system that isn't fit for purpose how are they going to do that so by bridging the school gate to the kitchen table we offer a chance for them to say well that's a good idea i wonder if i could do it differently and ultimately stop teaching kids stuff in the lunch hours and start incorporating it into the main curriculum it only happens rob when when you just see it day in and day out and you start to think that this is normal and you start to think, yeah, I could do that. And I don't have to be out on a limb because more and more people are saying, yeah, thumbs up, that's the right way to go. So that's, what's, that's what systems change is about, create a new normal. I hate that. Well, I've been banging on about new normals for a long time and now flipping it, COVID just keeps talking about a new normal and I'm not keen about it. But <laughs> I do think instead of celebrating best practice, if we celebrated a new kind of prosperity through how we relate to food, it would be a good start. Definitely a good start, more than a good start. And what comes to mind for me that you talk about Christchurch, New Zealand, and going through COVID and other stuff, it often takes these crises for us to sort of wake up, to sort of stop going on that path. Because I think people might in the back of their mind thinking, oh, like climate change, for instance, people maybe day to day don't see the difference don't see what's happening and they think it's okay i continue to just go on along and it'll get fixed and or it might not but until something actually affects you like covid affects us all 
maybe not being able to get our food, not being able to go and do stuff, all these things. It makes us think twice and maybe more than twice. It makes us think long and hard because it's, it wasn't something that just lasted a week or two and everything was back to normal. Three, four, five months, however long. And in that yeah. time, like, for instance, as soon as it happened, I was like, right, we're getting chickens. I've been putting off getting chickens for ages and we're actually going to pick them up tomorrow. I built Brilliant. I built a chicken coop. It cost me three pounds to build this chicken coop. I just, I, I got in touch with those people and I said, have you, uh, has anyone got any old pallets or any old wood or any stuff? And like you said about serendipity, just appeared out of nowhere, just when I needed it at the right time. Like I built the yeah. shell. I was like, has anyone else got any more stuff? More stuff appeared. And I'm like, it, it, and it took this to happen to give me some space and time. To, I'm going to get them. And I noticed actually when I was listening to your TED talk that you have um, about so people who are growing, uh, who are laying eggs locally. They, you know, they can yeah. connect to it and then you can start selling them locally. And like, yeah. what I love about it, like we, we've got quite a bit of fruit and veg and I love going, going to my mom's like, I'm going to take them a bunch of kale and I'm going to take them some fresh mint. And it's something that feels really nice about growing your own food and then sharing it. You know, it's like anything. Yeah. We love to bake a cake or make something and see the satisfaction on people's face when they're enjoying yeah. it. So yeah. it's not just about doing it for us. It's about doing it for, for other people as well. And, and that mindset, that when it feels like I'm getting, like I feel it in me now and I'm talking about this, how nice it feels to do it. And that's yeah. the, that gives you energy to want to do more. And then people do nice stuff to you and it just it just filters out around the community and around the world. Like what you've done, like it started from an idea, literally an idea. And now it's literally got its fingerprints all over, all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's about spread, not scale. And it's about a thousand and one different things, but it's art. It's having ordinary folks like us say, no, 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 we want to do the, we want to do it differently because it, because I don't care what you say about, how you, governments or whatever, measure success. I know that this makes me feel better. And I know that this helps me connect with other people. And I know, if I want to intellectualise it, how it's at the root of building stronger communities. I know all that, but ultimately, it just makes me feel good, so why don't I do it? And we've kind of been put down, haven't we? We've been put down, and we're in a system, and I'm not kind of getting part of political, political in any sense about this, but we've got a, we've got a system that measures success by the more things we produce, doesn't measure it by our impact on our neighbours, doesn't measure it, but it doesn't take any of those things into account, right? If we started to take those things into account, we would start spending our money differently. And we would start realising that money isn't everything. You know, we do need money. I'm not getting fancy about it. I've been a, I've been a pain in the neck about money, just banging on about, you don't need money. Well, you do. Of course, you, it's just that, it's not where you start. You didn't start with your chicken coop with, I can only do this if I raise 50 quid to buy it on Amazon or whatever. You just did it. And, and the amazing thing is it's what take. And, and, you know, sometimes things will and sometimes things won't. But for me, the only way I know how to try and shift this mighty boulder, which has been the obstacle to our lives, really, you know, about how we ourselves can live well without people's permission, is if we light the fires under millions of people who say, we want it different. You know, we don't want to take, we want to give. You know, and, we, and actually, mate, whilst we are giving, would you like to give as well? Would you like to change how your policies are working? Would you like to change how you think about education? Would you like to change, you know, all these things. And every single person round a board table in a major institution is just an ordinary person with kids or grandparents or neighbours who they care about. They're just stuck in a system. So they're not the enemy. They're just stuck in a system. And once we can, if we can joyously infect them, if we can put it that way, we're doing it this way, then things can change pretty rapidly. And, fun, and basically, they've got to change pretty rapidly because it's not good. So the opportunity to have a chat about these things, you know, and we were talking earlier about railway stations and uh, 
railway stations were one of the first things that we, you know, because you've got to make things up as you go along and you've got to have a laugh along the way, you know. So that's why we planted up police stations because it made us smile growing sweet corn that was taller than police people. Um, and they, they were really nice about it, actually. They probably thought we were completely barking mad, but they were very nice and, and they've, been, they've continued to be nice all over the country. Um, but we started planting uh, herbs on railway station platforms because why wouldn't you the gray and horrible so we put little pots on it um and then we said can we do more of this and of course they said yes they always say yes as long as we don't have to do it and it doesn't cost us money which is fine just get get used to that so we said yeah that's fine so we planted up rosemary and bay and bits and bobs and it's still all over the country and it's all food to share and it's all cut a bit of mint off on your way home and make a mint sauce or whatever it might be and um, when you go back to the day when railways were used a lot more, they transported food all over the place. Wouldn't it be great if that could come back again? Wouldn't it be great if, if we could grow in one town, village, neighbourhood, whatever, and stick it on a train to market on the next? You know, it's all about connecting those dots, isn't it? And I did a thing, and as you say, it's just amazing. I did a thing in Winchester. Uh, at the beginning of the year. And I was banging on about Incredible Edible. It was just before COVID hit. And then I got back to Winchester Station and blow me on Winchester Station were raised beds with Incredible Edible Winchester on them. I was just like euphoric, I had no idea. <laughs> and that's just heartwarming. And very doable. You know, as you said, you need a few pallets, need to catch some soil. You need to use your charm to get a bit of compost if you've not made some yourself. And off you go. They can't stop you. Yeah. It's just making it up as you go along. And we don't know any, how to do anything unless you just, you just start it and you, you give it a go. Absolutely. What's the worst that can and happen? Exactly. You're not going to get locked up. <laughs> and if they, if they say you've got to uh, take out your plants, well, that's fine. You just stick them somewhere else. Um, the stories. Loads and loads of stories, but one I just want to talk to you about because I real I believe passionately it's about it's about how the North can help redefine itself. If I can be arrogant enough to say that, um, Liverpool, Knowsley, Widnes, Wigan, Salford, Lee, over into Yorkshire, Wakefield, whole, you, Places all over the place on that northern corridor are doing incredible edible stuff. Just communities getting on for themselves. And, and there's brilliant people doing it who aren't under the banner of incredible edible, like squash in, in Toxteth. Fantastic. Um, fantastic place, growing food, sharing food, teaching people how to do it. It's exactly the same, just a different name. Um, so we did some work with some... Um, in, in the, a while ago, with some Sheffield students who did a brilliant animate, which is still on YouTube, um, about what we could imagine if we grew food coast to coast up north, from Liverpool to Hull. Um, and that came about because I was a bit, I was less than impressed about the concept of the Northern Powerhouse, if I can put it that way. Because it seemed to me, Whereas there are great inequalities between North and South. To stick and lift a model of Southeast England that wasn't producing the outcomes that I thought we needed as a planet, as people, up North and think that was success seemed to me a bit daft. So not wanting to be negative, but wanting to offer an alternative proposition, we invented this thing called the Northern Greenhouse instead of the Northern Powerhouse. Uh, and we put this to a bunch of students in uh, Sheffield. Uh, an amazing woman called Irene Bowman, who's an architect in Leeds. She was also uh, a lecturer at Sheffield. They produced it, it's still on YouTube if you have a look at the Northern Greenhouse. And it basically shows what you can do. Redefining the middle of, of Liverpool, getting on the canals, planting up the canals, getting on a train, planting up the stations, working right through to the prisons around Hull and making the connection between food in the prison and food 
on the estates because a lot of people were from the estates. So just making that connection and keeping that vision in a way that makes you smile. Because when you say Northern Greenhouse to people, they smile, but they get it. Wouldn't it be great if we could create a collaboration in the North called the Northern Greenhouse? Everybody, whatever, whatever title you go under, it doesn't matter. We're all part of a Northern Greenhouse. And actually, somebody somewhere who says, I can do that. I can create a website or, a, or an animator or whatever. And we all plug into it. And we just offer as our, one of our solutions, why don't we think about this Northern Power House? Why don't, why don't we invest in food? And all the other things that come from that, like how you get it there, what the quality of your soil is, how you persuade people that they have got the skills and the gifts to do it. They don't need a qualification. How it changes what the high street looks like. How that changes how vibrant our markets are. How that shifts spending patterns. It all comes. You don't have to plan it. It's not a master plan. It's just the start of a road that you're walking and then other people are joining you along the way. Wouldn't that be great? I don't see why we, we can't reboot that. But anyway, that's just me. No, and I've, I get really excited and I'm hearing you talk about that, you know, the Northern Power House. I actually think the, the, you know, the Northern Greenhouse has actually got much more power to it because there's so many more people. It's much more interconnected than saying, this is how we're going to do stuff. And this is, this is a model that yeah. we're taking from somewhere else. And that seems to be the model sometimes of government anyway, from this centralized way, it's like what's worked here or way they think it's worked here. That's just the way it should be everywhere. It's like, no, you know, and your, your movement, your way of connecting people and, and galvanizing, you know, it, it's galvanizing communities. It's galvanizing yeah. practically every age group who, who, as you said, food is the connection. Like no matter what happens in this world for the next thousand years, we're all going to have to eat food each day, you know? Yeah. And, and that is the thing that brings it all together. So it's, it's really amazing. amazing. And it's positive. Yeah. It's positive. You know, it's not about placards and it's not about dizzing other aspects. It's about saying, here's another way of looking at it. Shall we have a crack? Yeah. That's all it is. And it's, yeah, so it's people, been an amazing 11 years. Yeah, it's been incredible and there's going to be 11 more, definitely. So for people who are listening to this now and thinking, you know what, I want to find out more about this. How can I, you know, rather than just thinking I'm just going to go and find a little plot of land and stick something, what is the, is the resources online for people to be able to have the best way to connect them with people? best way of starting these things what what if someone's listening to this wants to get going with it what's, what's yeah the best thing for them? yeah there, yeah there there is as i said there's no bureaucracy we've not got any central funding but when we did have a bit of money we did a few things one of which was to create incredibleedible.org. if you go on google have a look at that you'll find the website that's got all the information about the network the groups where things are happening toolkits so if you're, if you're registered as a group, uh, I'm incredible, edible, whatever bit of the world you're in, and you've got a few mates who want to do it, you register as a group, don't cost you anything, um, and you'll get toolkits about when to grow, what to grow, how to start off, or if you've started off already, you know, how to do certain other things, how you might connect with health or whatever. So that's one thing you can definitely do. And they're all dead nice, jolly pictures, so there's, it's not death by PowerPoint or whatever. But also, if you go on Facebook, if you happen to have Facebook, you'll find when you look at most of the groups that are listed on the website, they're usually connected by Facebook. Sometimes the bigger groups have got their own websites, but on the other. So have a look at what Bristol's doing. Have a look at what Knowlesley's doing. Have a look about Wakefield. You know, have a look about. Have a look. And then, you know, it's down to folks. Get in contact with them. Have a chat with them. You know, or as well as that, have a look at who your neighbours are. Go and visit them. It's not all about coming to Todd. They're all over the place. You don't have to come to Todd with them. And then maybe piggyback on the back of something else and just let it flow and see how where your imagination and your will takes you. And it will, without a shadow of a doubt, make you smile. Without a shadow of a doubt, it will reshape the spaces of your lives. And with a bitter look and a following wind, we'll change what good looks like and how we think of prosperity. 
Well, that seems like an, um, a wonderful way to, to sort of wrap, wrap things off, chatting with you today. Um, Pam, it's been like, it's really, really, really inspiring. And when I think about when I set this podcast up, which is, you know, all about doing good and inspiring other people to go out there and do good, I can't think of many others that I've had on the, the podcast that, that don't sort of typify that as much as you and what you've been doing with with the movement and long may it continue and may it sprout up many more thousands or all over the country and other movements and everything and just yeah it's um like you say it's, it's all about positivity and i love that I, I talk about this in the podcast about us moving from this feeling of service to self but to service to others and actually when you actually serve others you're serving yourself as well and and it seems very fitting that there's food in this conversation as well. So I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you. I'll be sure to include all the links to the stuff that you talked about. And so the Thank listeners you. can go out and, and, and do all this stuff. But um, yeah, if you, if you got any final closing remarks that you want to want to share or do you feel like you've said everything? No, I'm happy. I'm, I'm very happy with having had this conversation with you because yeah, it, it just, just, you know, it just fills me with hope. Every time I have a conversation like this, it fills me with hope and I know we are part of a solution. And you can't do any more than that. So thank you very much. It's been an honour to have a chat with you, Rob. It's been grand. So there is my interview with Pam Warhurst, all uh, wrapped up from Incredible Edible. There's not much more else I really need to say. You know, I'll just, you know, I'll include the links and, and hopefully this has inspired some people that they want to go out and, and do something in the community, you know, and, um, and, and play their part in this, in, in this shift that we're going through. And if you've enjoyed this, please share this with, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your community to um, see if they'll be interested in, in getting involved in something like this and, and hearing, getting inspired from Pam's story. Um, if you've enjoyed this as well, please leave me a review on Apple. You can subscribe on my YouTube channel. Um, and I'm also sending out newsletters now for the, for these interviews. So if you want to sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss any episodes, you can do that by the website. And if you want to become a member on my Patreon page to help me to continue to do more of these inspiring interviews with people, that would be greatly appreciated. But anyway, guys, um, until next time, have a good one.